Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. One of the difficulties for Christians in our world today is the prevalence and insidiousness of sin. Where it goes unaddressed and unconfessed in the believer's life, it leads to a stagnancy and an ineffectiveness in serving God. Like baggage that can weigh us down, we unfortunately cling to our sin rather than leave it at the foot of the cross. This morning we will examine a story of Jesus' encounter with a sinful woman and we will see the joyful response of our Savior towards one who has acknowledged and turned away from sins. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. I'd like to tell you a story today of the first time that my wife and I went to the mission field. As we traveled by airplane and then by boat over to the Caribbean, uh, we served for a week. It was very similar to what uh, we are sending Mara out to as a short-term missions trip. Now, I had a great time. Uh, I was really impacted in my heart uh, for the people and the potential for ministry there, and the Lord continued to speak and draw uh, my heart back. Uh, My wife, however, had such a great time that she did not want to leave. She wanted to stay. Uh, Now, somehow, um, and she wasn't my wife at the time. She was just a, a friend of mine. But somehow our plane tickets were the same, traveling back to college, back to school where we were. Um, And as we traveled through the airport, she began to cry. And then she got so despairing that she just uh, dropped her luggage and she wouldn't carry it. And so guess who had to carry her luggage? Little did I know the Lord was preparing me for the rest of what life was going to be like. Um, It's a little bit exhausting there as she's dragging her feet, wiping tears away, and I'm hauling all of the bags behind us. And uh, this became something that was a bit of a pattern for us. Every time, routinely going back and forth. I have a picture up here of the the first time when we went out uh, fully deployed to live over there full time. Uh, bringing our family. That's little Micah up there, two months old. So he's, he's the precious cargo. You might notice the rest of the luggage, though. And uh, as Emily's pushing the stroller, who do you think is carrying all the rest of that? That's right. And, uh, and it slows you down, and it, it wears you down. And it made me think of what and how this applies to our Christian life. Um, you see, a lot of us are carrying baggage. There's a lot of us that are carrying things that we don't need to be carrying. And you will not be light on your feet. You will not be quick in the race of what God has called you for as you continue to drag luggage behind you. I actually brought some uh, with me to church this morning uh, just so you can see what it looks like. Uh, the, the luggage that we carry in our lives, uh, it's really a product of, it's a product of sin. Uh, that as sin finds its way into your life and... This is something that's really unavoidable. You remember what John says in 1 John? He who says he's without sin deceives who? He deceives himself, yeah. So uh, it's kind of a foolish thing. And one, one thing that I realized that as... This is Emily's, if you could talk. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I realized as you get down into the airport in the Bahamas is uh, that down uh, after you pass immigration, they have got an army of young men with uh, carts ready to take your luggage. Now, what do you think a bozo like me would do when they say, hey, can I take that for you? Oh, no. no, because what, what does the young, uh, young guy say? I got this, yeah, yeah, no problem, don't worry, I got this. Keep watching now. So this is what it looks like, going through the 
airport. And they come and they say, hey, I can take that off your hands. I can take that. Right now, I don't know if you like me at all, but I always think there's no free lunch, right? So you're offering to take this, which means I'm going to lose some money, right? That's easy. Yeah. And look, I got a good back. I can carry this. But here's what it looks like going, going through the airport. Now, what do you do with sitting in your life? That, that indwelling, you're very aware of it. And it's this baggage that holds you down. And you know what Jesus does? He comes and he says, hey, you know what I can do for you? I can carry that. I could take that off of your hands today. Unfortunately, so many of us, what is our response? No, that's okay. I, I got that. I got this. Could you go to the next slide for me? This is a verse out of Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race with perseverance. The race that's marked out for us. You see, the, the purpose that God has for you and I means that he wants to take all this baggage right here at the foot of Calvary. He wants you to lay it all down so that you are not encumbered in the work that he has called you. So that you're not worn out and weary. And this is my fear, church. My fear is that too many of us have just held on to this sin thinking, no, I, I can manage this. I, I can take care of it, right? I don't need, no one needs to know and nobody can tell. But you know what that does to your Christian walk? Too many of us have grown too accustomed to just sitting down on the curb and we're not even running anymore. We're just sitting there with baggage surrounding us. And this is the call. The call is to throw it off and turn it over to Christ. His burden is light, and, and he's willing to take yours. As we continue into Luke's gospel this morning, we're going to find ourselves in chapter 7. I've entitled this message, Loved Much. Loved Much. And you've got to understand that as we look to worship the Lord with our lives, it is not a matter of looking good on the outside. Unfortunately, I think American church has tricked us for the most part, that that's all it takes. And, you know, you can act it up really well on Sunday morning. You can come in, hello, good to see you, while the whole time driving in the car, you were fighting with your spouse the whole way here. And there's just this baggage that sits upon us. We're going to see as we look into Luke's gospel today that two individuals are going to be contrasted, one opposed to the other. One is a Pharisee. And you know what? He looks good on the outside. He looks really good, clean, he's wearing the right clothes, he's got the right words, smiles the right way, does everything the way he's supposed to. And he's going to be contrasted with, as Luke records for us, a, a sinful woman. We're going to look at that, this, uh, that story this morning. As we do, we're going to come up with just a few conclusions. And then, like I mentioned too, we're going to have an opportunity to respond uh, to Jesus' call today. So if you're with me in Luke chapter 7, 1604. page 1604 in our Pew Bibles, we're going to start in verse... 36. Luke records. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, 
kissing them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and has wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the women, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's an amazing story. A few things that I, I want to draw out uh, in, this, in this passage, just so we can kind of understand some of what's going on. Uh, it was customary at this time, you know, when you had a dinner to recline at a table, the, their tables didn't look like ours. But there were certain customs that were part of the ritual of just the culture they lived in, that when someone came in, you would offer them uh, the, the pleasant... Uh, Simplicity of having something to wipe their feet off. They didn't have uh, fancy cars like, like us today. They, they, by and large, walked in sandals in the dirt. And so this was simply customary. Uh, you will notice that Jesus recognizes the, the distinction between what the Pharisee did not offer and what this sinful woman has continued to do for him. Another thing I want to point out to you here is Jesus tells this parable in verse 41. He talks about two people that couldn't pay back a debt. Now, we don't usually use the uh, denomination of denarii. I'm not sure if your Bible uh, updates that for you, but I'd like to. Uh, when he says that one person owed 500 and the other 50, uh, just ballparking a denarii would be about a day's wage for a worker or a, or a, a laborer or a soldier. And uh, so roughly kind of a, a mean uh, sort of average here, the first person who owes 500 denarii would be you know, about two months, uh, or, or no, 50 would be about two months. So this would be 10 times that, approximately $50,000. So that's what he's saying. Somebody owes 50 grand. It's like a, maybe that's what you got left on your house mortgage, right? I mean, it's a, it's a substantial amount of money. And the other person uh, is just about two months worth. So maybe about $5,000. Uh, so you see that about the difference in 10 there, $50,000 versus $5,000. Then Jesus kind of throws a twist in there. It would never be expected that uh, the loan officer would simply say, ah, we'll cancel it, right? You don't owe me anything anymore. That would have taken the Pharisees by shock, by surprise. But Jesus purposes this story in order to reveal the response 
You've heard me say that word a few times this morning, right? The response of those who have been forgiven. It's very clear that uh, Simon here is not doing what this sinful woman is doing. And the question is why? What, what gives? What's been, what's been different between those two? And Jesus is trying to show the truth. The truth is that she has been forgiven. I want to make sure you don't think that by her actions, she's earning forgiveness. That is the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say here. Jesus is showing that the actions are the response of forgiveness. I want you to see it again. Look in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. Jesus is trying to show that there is a one-to-one correspondence to your devotion to Christ, the expression of love that you have for him with your awareness of sins that have been forgiven. If you don't think your sins have been forgiven, you don't have much love to give. But if you know all the depths of what your sin has earned for you and what it deserves, and to have that debt canceled, what is your response? Not little, but what? Much. Loved much. I really feel that one of our main problems is we don't talk about sin very often. You won't hear this too often in churches, which is mind-boggling for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to see where God's Word takes us, and if it's talking about sin, hey, guess what, folks? We're, we're going to talk about sin. Uh, I have a book I'd like to read, just a, a portion to you, uh, speaking about why it's hard for us to see sin today. This is by J.C. Ryle in his book, Holiness. Listen to these words, and I'll read it for you. Concerning the guilt... The vileness and the offensiveness of sin in the sight of God, my words will be few. I do not think in the nature of things that mortal man can tell at all or to realize the exceeding sinfulness of sin in the sight of that holy and perfect one with whom we have due. On the one hand, God is the eternal being who chargeth his angels with folly, and in whose sight the very heavens are not clean. He is the one who reads the thoughts and the motives as well as the actions and requires truth in the inward parts. We, on the other hand, poor, blind creatures, living in a constant atmosphere of weakness and infirmity and imperfection, can form none but the most inadequate conception of the hideousness of sin. We have no line to draw, to fathom. We have no measure by which to gauge it. Listen to these examples. He says, the blind man can see no difference between a masterpiece of Raphael and the queen's head on a billboard. The deaf man cannot distinguish between a penny whistle and a cathedral organ. The very animals whose smell is most offensive to us have no idea that it is offensive, and they are not offensive to one another. As man, fallen man, I believe, can have no just idea what a vile thing sin is in the sight of that God whose handiwork is absolutely perfect. 
perfect whether we look through it in a telescope or a microscope. Perfect in the formation of a mighty planet like Jupiter with its satellites keeping time to the second as he rolls around the sun. Perfect in the formation of the smallest insect that crawls over the foot of the ground. But let us nevertheless settle it firmly in our minds that sin is the abominable thing that God hates. Nothing, I'm convinced, will astonish us so much as when we awake in the resurrection day. As the view we shall all have of sin and the retrospect we shall take of our own countless shortcomings and defects. Never till the hour when Christ comes the second time shall we fully realize the sinfulness of sin. Do you think skunks don't like their own smell? I think that was a good illustration that he gave, right? The the blind person can't tell the difference between what is offensive and what's beautiful. You can't, because you're what? You're blind. Deaf person can't tell the difference between what is offensive and what sounds beautiful because he's deaf. And guess what? This is what humanity is like in this world. The problem is you and I have become desensitized to sin. It's on our magazine covers. It's anywhere you click on the internet. It's on every channel, whether it's something that's related to the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh, or maybe by and large, just the pride of man, humanity, the pride of mankind. Let our will be done rather than God's. And you and I, we don't see it. We just miss it. What about this woman? Did she miss it? Luke records for us in verse 37 that she had lived a sinful life in that town. Can you imagine being her? Everybody, everybody knows, right? Uh, this uh, phrase, sinful woman, is it's really leading us to probably what Luke means, that this was a woman who was involved in uh, the sex trade business, right? A prostitute, uh, somebody who everybody knew. In fact, the Pharisees recognized. They knew who she was. And Jesus could not be a prophet from God because he's clueless. He doesn't even know who's touching him because that's how scandalous it would be for this woman. Guess what? She knew. She knew every day what the depths of her failures looked like. What about you? It's not going to do for us to compare ourselves with one another. It will not work. And I've heard people say this before. Ask, well, are, are, are you a good person? Oh, yeah, I'm better than... Tom over here, right? I'm, I'm better than this, this guy over there, right? But what are you doing? You're just comparing the stink of one skunk to the stink of another skunk. That's all you're doing. <laughs> you are not seeing yourself in relation to a clearly drawn line. The level of perfection for which God has crafted his creation. You and I, we've been immersed in a cesspool of, of, a, of a guttery life. And it causes us to not be, de- not be sensitive to it anymore. We're desensitized. We should respond. We should respond like Joseph in the Old Testament with Potiphar, right? Do you remember that? When she says, hey, come sleep with me. What does he do? He runs. But see, you and I, we've just grown accustomed to saying, well, it's okay over here. And nobody, and not hurting anybody. And this ain't up. And that's what sin looks like for us. I want to give you, just before we uh, look at some conclusions on this, I want to give you four categories of sin because you still might be this morning thinking, that's a good sermon. I hope it's done soon, right? Um, 
And, and you might not be thinking this relates to you. So I'd like to give you four categories of sin, and you just find if any of these apply to you. First, we have uh, sin of the mind, all right? Sin of the mind. This is how you and I, this is how we think about others. So in this category, we have anger, pride, Hatred, to which uh, Jesus will say that if you hate your brother, you're guilty of what sin? Murder. Yeah, that's, that's what hatred looks like. Um, as we saw uh, last week, looking at Jesus saying, you need, if someone slaps you on one cheek, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. Yeah, and, and if you're not willing to do that, you, you pretty much you don't care for the person in need. Someone takes your cloak, what should you do? Let them take the rest of your garments as well because if you don't you really don't care for them so your uh, your and my action of hatred which is really a sin that begins in our mind for how we treat one another's it's played on all the time in the way that we fail to serve our fellow man jealousy discord division dissension did you hear what such and such person said about this Oh, I can't believe that, and that's just who they are, and they drive everyone nuts. And Division. That's not bringing people together. Discord. You know some people are troublemakers? Some people are. They, they, they just don't have anything good to say. This is a sin of the mind. All right, second category. I don't know if you found yourself yet. Hopefully you did, but here's the next one. Sins of the heart. This is how we think about ourselves. Boy, I sure am something. Y'all so lucky to know me. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a sin of the heart. Selfishness. I want more for me. Greed. Lust. Covetousness. And there's a word that kind of lumps all these together. It's called idolatry. Because dependent upon how highly you think of yourself shows where Jesus lives in your life. So we got sins of the mind, we got sins of the heart. Third are sins of action. These are these are pretty obvious. Uh, Paul always begins with sexual immorality, gossip, gluttony, drunkenness, theft, cursing, blasphemy. You, you could go on and on, right? These are all the sins that you commit, th- things that you do. They they go outside the mind and the heart, and they enter into the real world. And lastly, sins of neglect. You might have heard a phrase in, in other uh, churches, sins of omission. Have you heard of that before, sins of omission? We, we pray many times as we ask in con- confession to God, uh, forgive us for the things that we have done and the things we have left what? undone. So this would be a failing to do good. The Bible will say, he who knows the good he ought to do, but doesn't do it, sins. Failing to love your neighbor. Uh, Hoarding, which is a failure to what? To give. Sloth, which is a failure to what? Get off your keister, right? Yeah. Uh, I I put down failure to be a good steward, right? Because God has given you your life. He's given you breath. He's given you a body. And some of us would rather, ah, I just need to take a nap. Uh, failure to trust. We could go on, right? We could go on. Four, four categories. I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping that you're not too desensitized by our world. Because you know what our world has done? It has found a way in every one of these categories to just polish it up a little bit. Make it something that's not so uh, outstanding. Something that doesn't cause us to run. But really just to sit 
And you know what you do? You carry this around, and it becomes baggage in your life, and you stop running the race. We stop doing what God has called us here to do. Let's look at a couple of observations in this passage. Number one is this. Peace begins by recognizing sin as sin. Call it what God calls it. Sin cannot be defined by the way our world wants to define it. You have to define it the way God defines it. This is similar to how my son and I contrast our definition of what a clean room is. <laughs> so clean your room. And then come, it is clean. I cleaned it. Well, we go up there and it is a mess. I mean, utter mess. This is not clean in the least. It's because he's defining it according to his category, right? It's better than my neighbor. Have you seen Billy's room? It's better than that, so it must be clean. No, this isn't going to work. In fact, here's what I'll tell him. I I will say, Micah, look closer. Look closer. And you know what? There are some wrappers over there that don't belong there. Some more Legos over there that don't belong there. Stuffed animals don't belong there, right? But if you don't look close enough, you're not going to find it. This is what we need to learn to do a better job at. You might come to church today thinking this message is for somebody else. I, <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I don't have any sin that I know of. I, my room is clean, right? I, I don't have any. Guess what? You haven't looked hard enough. When I used to work in the food industry in college, I was a, a short order cook. I was a manager of our snack shop. And we had to routinely in the spring and in the fall, we had to clean everything. Deep clean the fryers and I'm telling you everything. And you know what? You, you, you pull things... Oh, you pull the fryer back and, oh, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Awful, right? So you start from a high level and you kind of sweep everything up. And you're like, yeah, it looks pretty good. Looks pretty good from here. Don't, don't get closer because you know what? If you get closer, you begin to see that that oil is sucked into the grout of the tile, right? So you get a little bit closer, right? Scrub it up a little bit more. And then you're like, yeah, now it's clean. I'm sure now it's clean. What if I look closer? Still filthy. I mean, you get a microscope with some of the tile shavings, and you're going to see all kinds of little creatures living in there, right? Not to get Lysol and bleach out. Because this is the deal with sin in your life. You have got it indwelling in the little crevices of your heart. Places that you don't want to let the light of the gospel shine. And you cannot go around in this world saying, my room's clean, I must be fine, I must be good. You know who you look like? You look like Simon in the story. Who's sitting back, sipping his drink at the table, right? Loving little. And the call to the church is to love much. You need to love much, but it begins by seeing sin as sin. That's where it begins. Number two is this. Our response to Jesus is placing him as number one. That's our response. Now this woman, if she's working in this kind of nefarious profession... You, you, her, her, her most valued possession is going to be the, the spices that allure the men, right? The perfumes. The most valuable thing that she has. Without it, she's going to lose business, right? But what does she do? What does she do when she comes to worship God, to worship Him? She brings that which is most valuable and she pours it out because it's not valuable anymore. Jesus is more valuable. And that's our response. This has to be our response. So that when you see sin as sin, you see the elevation 
of the image of Christ in your life. Go from wherever it was to right to the top. That's our response. That's our only response. And so the question kind of becomes, is he number one in your life? Is there anything else that you find calling out and asking for top priority in your life such that you would not offer it to God? Recognize sin is sin. Our, our response is to Jesus is placing as number one. Third is this. It is not what others think about you. It's what God says about you. Do you remember the story? Remember what the, remember what the Pharisees, these really righteous looking dudes said? Boy, if Jesus knew who she was, I know who she is. She's that. She's that sinner. I was going to say skank, but I don't think you can say that in church. <laughs> She, she's that loose woman, right? That, that's what she is. And that was their opinion of her. Now imagine being her. Imagine you are her. And here you've got all of the Christians all tidied up for church. And, you know, you just got what you got, right? And you're there at the door thinking, I can't, I can't go in. Are you nuts? I can't go into church. They, they know who I am. They know what I look like. They're going to they're start thinking these things. And what does that do? You know what that does? That sits you right on the curb, and you just take your sin, and you do this. I'm just, just going to keep it because you are paralyzed by fear of what others think about you. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what any man or woman says about you. The only thing that matters is what your Heavenly Father says about you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do not lose the opportunity to show the world that you love much because you're afraid of what people might say. I'm afraid of what people might say, so I'm, I'm just going to sit here with my sins. I'll paralyze you. It's not what others think. It's what God says. Number four is this. Peace and freedom come from forgiveness. They come from forgiveness. We already kind of touched on that. This woman's act of humility her kissing, her crying, her washing, her anointing. They are not earning her forgiveness. Rather, the freedom of forgiveness, it results in these actions. Peace and freedom come from forgiveness. You don't do good things for Jesus to be forgiven. You do good things worshiping him because you've been, say it with me, forgiven. So peace and freedom, they flow from this. And they testify. They really do. They testify to how much you've been forgiven. Imagine this. Imagine if today I got out my uh, I got this special credit card here. I know it looks like Chase, but it's, it's heavenly credit card. Here's the deal. Uh, you can write down on your bulletin, right? just write down whatever number of debt you want forgiven, and it'll be forgiven. It'll be paid for. Imagine if that were true. What, would you put down everything? Or would you put down, eh, you know, I pay for my coffee. That's all right. I got this. I don't need it. I, I got this. I'll just continue to hang on to these things. Listen, Jesus has offered you the heavenly credit card of the wealth poured out by the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your every sin. If someone's asking to pay off your debt... I'm putting all my debt down, right? Everything. I might even put down ones I'm planning to incur in the future. <laughs> right? I'm going to need forgiveness. 
Everything goes on the list. Not just, not just, yeah, that's a nice gesture. That's nice of you. I, I'll take care of the rest, though. Peace and freedom that come from forgiveness. Why would we not seek out every sin to offer before God to be forgiven? Number five is this. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. It's as simple as the principle. It really it derives to that illustration of um, putting everything down. Who in their right mind, if they were going to pay off all your debt, would not put down all their debt? This is everything I owe. You will love much the giver of forgiveness. Lastly is this. Jesus is God. And, and we can't miss that because this becomes a pattern in what Luke is showing us in his story. That Jesus and Jesus alone has authority to do what? Forgive sins. And it's scandalous. If Jesus was not God, if he's just some guy from Galilee, and you have got this prostitute woman kissing his feet, what's that look like? I, I'm, I think I'm on the Pharisee side of the discussion, if that's the case, right? If this is just some guy, you know, in his preaching ministry going around, and he's, he's kind of attracting these people to him who, you know, I'm going to be really suspicious of that. Unless... You know, unless he's actually God. Unless he can actually do these things. That's Luke's point. Jesus is the one who has got unlimited credit on his account because of the blood poured out, because of what God has done. You can be forgiven because, say it with me, Jesus is God. So what do we do with this? I have, I have one question and then we're going to, then we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Here's my question to you today. Where are you on this spectrum? In your sermon notes, you actually have this written there. I'm, I want to challenge you to put your name in there. Put the mark of where you're at. Today, coming to church, are, do you look more like Simon? Are you a little bit more like, nah, I'm, I'm pretty good today. I don't, need, I don't need everything paid off. Or are you like the sinful woman, very acutely aware of the depth to which you have failed and you deserve punishment. Where are you on that list? My hope and my prayer for you would be that you are ever increasing towards the side of this woman. We want to love not little church. We want to love much. It begins by seeing sin as sin. It begins by turning to God.